Hi, this is Stephen Cherry for Radio Spectrum. 2011, the former executive director of MoveOn gave a widely viewed TED Talk, Beware Online Filter Bubbles, that became a 2012 book and a startup. In all the talk of fake news these days, many of us have forgotten the unseen power of filter bubbles in determining the way in which we think about politics, culture, and society. That startup tried to get people to read news they might not otherwise see by repackaging them with new headlines. A recent app called Ground News has a different approach. It lets you look up a topic and see how it's covered by media outlets with identifiably left-leaning or right-leaning slants. You can read the coverage itself, right, left, moderate, or internationally, look at its distribution, or track a story's coverage over time. Most fundamentally, it's a way of seeing stories that you wouldn't ordinarily come across. My guest today is Suk Singh, the chief technology officer of Ground News and one of its co-founders. Suk, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. Um, back in the pre-internet era, newspapers flourished, but overall news sources were limited. Uh, besides a couple of newspapers in one's area, there would be two or three television stations you could get and a bunch of radio stations that were mainly devoted to music. Magazines were on newsstands and delivered by subscription, but only a few concentrated on weekly news. That world is gone forever in favor of a million news sources, many of them suspect. Uh, and it seems the ground news strategy is to embrace that diversity instead of lamenting it, putting stories in the context of who's delivering them and what their agendas might be, and uh, most importantly, break us out of the bubbles we're in? That's true. We are embracing the diversity. As as you mentioned, moving from the, the print era and the TV era to the internet era, the, the cost of having uh, a news outlet or, or any kind of a uh, media distribution outlet have dropped dramatically to the point of a single person operation becoming viable. Uh, that has had the positive benefit of, of uh, allowing people to cater to very niche interests that were previously glossed over. Uh, but on the negative side, the explosion of, uh, uh, of number of outlets out there certainly has, uh, has a lot of drawbacks. Uh, our approach at Ground News uh, is to uh, is to take as wide a swath uh, as we meaningfully can and put it in one destination for our subscribers. Uh, so has the problem of filter bubbles gotten worse since the term was coined a decade ago? It has. It's certainly gotten much worse. Uh, in, in fact, I would say by the time it was even coined, the uh, the development of filter bubbles were well underway before the phenomena was, was observed. Uh, and that's largely because it's a natural outcome of the algorithms uh, and later machine learning models used uh, to determine what is being served, what content is being served uh, to, to people. In the age of the internet, personalization uh, of a newsfeed became possible, uh, and that meant more and more uh, individual personalization and uh, machines picking, uh, virtually handpicking what anybody gets served. Uh, by and large, we saw the upstream effect of that being uh, that news publications uh, found out what type of content appealed to uh, a large enough number of people to make, uh, to make them viable. Um, and, and that has resulted in a shift from a sort of aspiration of every news outlet to be the universal record of truth to, to a more of an erosion of that. And now many outlets, certainly not all of them, 
but many outlets embracing the fact that they're not going to cater to everyone. Uh, they are going to cater to a certain set of people who agree with their worldview, and their mission then becomes uh, reinforcing that worldview, that agenda, that um, that specific uh, set uh, of beliefs uh, through reiterated and repeated content for everything that's happening in the world. People complain about the filtering of social media, but that original TED Talk was about Google and its search results, which seems even more insidious. Um, Where's the biggest problem today? I, I would say that social media has has shocked us all in terms of how bad the problem can get. Um, uh, if we think back 10 years, 15 years, uh, social media as we have it today it would not have been the prediction of, of most people. Uh, if we think back to the origin of, of uh, say, Facebook, it was very much in the social networking era where most of the content you were receiving were was from friends and family. Uh, it's a relatively recent phenomenon, certainly in this decade, not the last one, where we saw um, this chimera of, of social network plus digital media becoming uh, social media. And, and, and the newsfeed there, uh, going back to the personalization, uh, catered to the, the one engagement metric, one success metric being uh, how much time on platform could, could they get um, the user to spend, uh, which, comparing against Google, isn't... Uh, isn't as much of the success metrics. It's more getting you to the right page uh, or to the most relevant page as quickly as possible. But with social media, when that becomes a multi-hour per day activity, uh, it certainly had more wide-reaching and, and, and deeper uh, consequences. So I gave just a little sketch of how ground news works. Uh, do you want to say a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So um, I think you alluded to this in, in, in your earlier questions, uh, going from the, the past age of print and, and, and TV media to, uh, to the Internet age. Uh, what we've seen is that uh, news delivery uh, today has really bifurcated uh, into two types, into two categories. Uh, we have the more uh, traditional, more legacy based uh, news outlets coming to the digital age, to the mobile age with uh, websites and uh, mobile apps that are tailored uh, along the conventional sections of, of here's the sports section, here's the entertainment section, here's the politics sections. That that was roughly how the world of information was divided up by these publications, and that has carried over. Uh, and on the other side, we see um, we see the social media feed, which has uh, in many ways blown the legacy model out of the water. It's a single drip feed where the user has to do no work and can just scroll and keep finding more and more and more an infinite supply uh, of engaging content. Uh, that divide doesn't map exactly to education versus entertainment. Entertainment and, and sensationalism has been a part of media as, as far as back as media goes. Uh, but there certainly is more affinity toward um, uh, entertainment in, in, in a social media feed which caters to engagement. Uh, so we at Ground News serve sort of both those needs through both those models with two clearly labeled uh, and divided feeds. One is uh, top stories and the other one is my feed. Uh, the top stories is more of the legacy model of here are universally important news events that you should know about no matter which walk of life you come from, no matter where you are. Uh, located no matter where your interests lie. And the second being my feed, which is the recognition that uh, ultimately people will care more about certain interests, certain topics, certain issues than other ones. 
so it is a nod to that personalization within the limits of not uh, uh, delving down to the same spiral of filter bubbles. There's only so many reporters at a newspaper. There's only so many minutes we have in a day to read the news. Uh, so in all of the coverage, for example, of the protests this past month, coverage we should be grateful for uh, of an issue that deserves all the prominence it can get, a lot of other stories got lost. Uh, for example, there was a dramatic and sudden uh, announcement of re a reduction in our U.S. troop count in Germany. Um, I happened to catch that story in the New York Times myself, but it was a pretty small headline buried pretty far down. Uh, it was covered in your weekly newsletter, though. I, I take it you see yourself as having a second mission besides one-sided news, the problem of undercovered news. Yes, we do. And, and that's been a, uh, a realization as we've made the journey of ground news. It wasn't something that we uh, recognized from, from the onset, but something that we discovered as we were, uh, as our throughput of news increased. Um, we, we spoke about the problem of, of filter bubbles, uh, and, and we initially thought the problem was bias. The problem was that a news event happens, uh, some real uh, concrete event happens in the real world, and then it is passed on as information through various news outlets, um, each one spinning it or at least wording it in a way uh, that aligned to either their core agenda or to the likings of their, their audience. More and more, we found that the problem isn't just bias and spin, it's also omission. So if we look at uh, the wide swath of left-leaning and, uh, and right-leaning publications, news publications in, in America today, we, uh, if we were to go to the home page of two publications fairly wide apart on the political spectrum, you would not just find the same news stories with different headlines or different uh, lenses, uh, but entirely different set of news stories. Uh, so much so, uh, you mentioned our newsletter, the, the Blind Spot Report. In the Blind Spot Report, we pick each week five to six stories that were covered massively on one side of the political spectrum, but entirely omitted from, from the other. The event that you mentioned about the troop withdrawal from Germany, uh, it did go very unnoticed by, by certain parts of the political spectrum. So as a consumer, as a consumer who wants to be informed, going to one or two news sources, no matter how valuable, no matter how rigorous they are, uh, will inevitably result in very large parts of um, the news out there that, that will be omitted from your field of view. Uh, it's a secondary conversation, whether that's, uh, whether if you're going to the right set of publications or not, uh, but what a more primary and more concerning conversation is, uh, how do you communicate with your neighbor when they're coming from a completely different set of uh, news stories and a different worldview informed by them? The name ground news seems to be a reference to the idea that there's a ground truth. Uh, there are ground truths in science and engineering. Uh, it would be wonderful, for example, if we could do some truly random testing for coronavirus and get the ground truth on uh, rates of, uh, of infection. Um, but are there ground truths in the news business anymore, or are there only counterbalancing of partial truths? That's a good question. Uh, I, I wouldn't be as, as, as cynical to say as that there's uh, no news publications out there reporting uh, what they truly believe to be the ground truth, but, but we do find ourselves in, in, in a world where, in, in a world of counterbalances, we do turn on the TV uh, news networks, and we do see a set of three talking heads with a moderator in the middle and, and differing opinions on, on, on either side. 
what we do at Ground News, as, as you said, the reference to the name, uh, is try to have that uh, flat, even playing field where different perspectives can come and make their case. Uh, so our aspiration is always to take the, whether that's the, the, the ground truth, whether that's in, in the world of science or in the world of philosophy, you want to call it an atomic fact, just take the real event and then have dozens, typically on average, we have about 20 different news perspectives, uh, local, national, international, left, right, uh, all, all across the board, uh, covering the same news event. And our central thesis is that uh, the ultimate solution is reader empowerment, that no uh, publication or technology can truly come to the conclusions for a person. And, and there's a perhaps a shouldn't in there as well. Uh, so our mission really is to take uh, the different news perspectives, present them on an even playing field to the user, to our subscribers, uh, and then allow them to come to their own conclusion. So without getting entirely philosophical about this, uh, it seems to me that, um, let's say, the language of uh, Plato's Republic and the allegory of the cave you're able to uh, help us look at more than just the shadows that are projected on the wall of the cave. Uh, we get to see all of the different people projecting the shadows, uh, but we're still not going to get to the platonic forms of the actual truth of what's happening in the world. Is that fair to say? Yes. I, I, keeping with that allegory, I would say that... Uh, our assertion is not that every single perspective is is uh, equally valid. That's not a value judgment we that we ever make. Um, we don't label the left, right, moderate uh, biases on on any news publication or platform. We actually source them from uh, three arm's length uh, nonprofit uh, agencies that that have the mission of labeling uh, news publications by their demonstrated bias. So we aggregate and, and, and use those as labels uh, in our platform. So we never pass a value judgment on any perspective, but my hope personally and, and ours as a company really is that some perspectives are getting you closer to the glimpse of the outside rather than just being another shadow on the wall. The onus really is on the reader to be able to say which perspective or which coverage uh, they think most closely resembles what the ground truth is. Uh, I think that's fair enough. And I think it would also be fair to add that even for issues for which there really isn't uh, a pairing of two opposing sides, uh, for example, climate change, uh, responsible journalists pretty much ignore the idea of there being no climate change. But still, it's important for people politically to understand that there are people out there who have not. Uh, accepted climate change and that they're still writing about it and still sharing views and so forth. And so uh, it seems to me that what you're doing is shining uh, a light on on that aspect of it. Absolutely. And and one of our uh, key aspirations in, in, in our mission is to uh, enable people to have those conversations. So even if, if you are 100 uh, percent convinced that you are going to credible news publications and you're you're getting the most vetted journalistically rigorous news coverage that is uh, available on the free market it may still be that uh, you might not be able to reach across the aisle or, or or just go next door and talk to your neighbor or your friend who is living in a very different different worldview uh, better or worse again we, we won't pass judgment 
but uh, just having a more expanded scope of news stories that come in uh, come into your field of view on your radar uh, does enable you to have those conversations even if you feel some of your peers may be misguided. The fundamental problem in news is that there are financial incentives for aggregators like Google and Facebook and for the news sources themselves to keep us in the bubbles that we're in, feeding us only stories that fit our worldview and giving us extreme versions of the news instead of more moderate ones. You yourself noted that uh, Facebook and other social uh, networks, uh, the user does no work in, in those cases. Using ground news is something you have to do actively. Uh, do you ever fear that it's uh, um, just a sort of band-aid that we can place on this gaping social wound? So the, let me deal with that in two parts. The first part is the, the, the financial uh, sustainability of journalism. There, there certainly is, is, is a crisis there, and, and I think we can have uh, another or several more of these conversations about the financial sustainability in journalism and, and solutions to that crisis. Uh, but one very easily identifiable problem is the reliance on advertising. Uh, I think a lot of news publications all too willingly started publicizing their content on the internet to, to increase their reach. Uh, and any advertising revenue that they could get off of that from Facebook and, uh, sorry, from Google and later Facebook uh, was incremental revenue to their, to their print subscription. Uh, and and they were on the whole very chipper to get incremental revenue by using by using the internet. Uh, as we've seen, that problem has become a, a more and more uh, of a stranglehold on news publications and media publications as in in general, uh, where they're trying to find for fight for these ad dollars. Uh, and the natural end of that that competition is uh, is sensationalism and 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 clickbait. That's speaking to the the, the financial. Uh, sustainability uh, in, in journalism there. I mean, the path we've chosen to go down exactly for that reason is to charge subscriptions directly to our, our, our users. So uh, we have thousands of paying subscribers now paying a dollar a month or $10 a year to access uh, the features on ground news. And and, and that's, uh, that's a nominal price point, but it is uh, also as an ulterior motive to that is it, it really is about habit building and getting people to pay for news again. Uh, where many of us have forgotten over the last couple of decades that news, paying for news, which almost used to be the, the, the same as paying for uh, paying for electricity or water, uh, that that's that sense of having to pay for news has disappeared, and we're trying to revive that, which again will hopefully pay dividends down the down the line for financial sustainability in in journalism. Uh, in terms of being a band-aid solution, we we do think there is more of a movement for people accepting the responsibility to do the work to inform themselves, which stands in direct uh, contrast to the social media feed, which I think most of us have come to distrust, especially in re uh, recent years. There was, a, I believe, a Reuters study two years ago that showed that 2018 was the first year where people uh, went uh, to Facebook for their news. Fewer people went to Facebook uh, for their news in 2018 than they did in, in the year before, and that was the first time in, in a decade. So I do think there's a recognition of um, um, the social media feed is no longer a viable news delivery mechanism. Uh, so people we do see uh, come doing that little bit of work, and, and on our part, we make it as uh, as accessible uh, as possible here. Um, your question reminds me of, 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 of the kind of adage that uh, as a consumer, if you're not the customer, you're the product, and, and that really is the divide. 
uh, using a free social media feed as opposed to paying for a news delivery mechanism. Uh, Ground News is actually a service of your earlier startup, uh, Snapwise. Do you, want, do you want to say a little bit about it and what it does? My co-founder uh, was a former NASA engineer, a NASA satellite engineer, uh, who worked on Earth observation satellites. So she was working on a constellation of satellites that went across the planet uh, every 24 hours and mapped every square foot of the planet for literally the ground truth, what was happening everywhere on the planet. And once she uh, left her space career uh, and, and she and I were starting to talk about the impact of technology in, in, in journalism, we realized that if we can map um, the entire planet every 24 hours and have an undeniable record of what's happening in the world, why can't we have the same in, in the news industry? Uh, so our uh, earliest iteration of what is now ground news uh, was much more focused on, on on citizen journalism and getting folks to to use their phones to communicate what was happening in the world around them uh, and getting that uh, first-hand data into the information stream, which we consume uh, as um, as news consumers. Again, if this is starting to sound like Twitter, we ran into several of the same drawbacks, especially when it came to, to news integrity and, and verifying the facts uh, and making sure that what people were using as information really was to the, to the same grade as professional journalists. And more and more, we realized we couldn't uh, diminish the role of professional journalists in delivering what the news is. Uh, so we started to aggregate uh, more and more vetted, credible news publications from across the world. Um, and before we knew it, we had 50,000 different unique sources of news, um, local, national, um, international, left, right, um, all the way down from your, your town newspaper to, to a giant multinational press wire service like Thomson Reuters. Uh, we were taking all those um, different news sources and putting them in the same platform. Uh, so, so that's really been our evolution as, um, as people trying to, to solve some of these problems in the journalistic industry. How do you identify publications as being on the left or on the right? As we started uh, aggregating more and more news sources, we got over the the 10,000 mark. And, and before we knew it, we were at uh, 50,000 news sources that we were covering. Uh, it's it's uh, humanly impossible for our small team or I imagine uh, e even a much, much larger team to really carefully go and, and label each of them. Uh, so we've taken that from uh, from a number of uh, news monitoring agencies whose um, mission and, and entire purpose is in, as, as uh, organizations is to review news publications. So we use three different uh, ones today, uh, Media Bias Fact Check, uh, All Sides, as well as Adfontis Media. And all three of these, um, I would call them rating agencies, if, if you want to use a stock market analogy, sort of rate uh, the political leanings and factual sort of demonstrated factuality uh, of these news organizations. We uh, take that as inputs, we aggregate them, but we do make uh, exactly their original uh, labels available on our platform. To use an analogy from uh, from the movie world, we're, we're, we're sort of like Metacritic here, where we're aggregating ratings from uh, IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and, and, and different platforms and making that all transparently available for our consumers. You're based in Canada, in Kitchener, which is a small city about an hour from Toronto. I think Americans think of Canada as having avoided some of the extremisms of the U.S. Uh, I mean, 
other than maybe burning down the White House a couple of centuries ago. It's been a pretty easygoing, get-along kind of place. Uh, do you think being Canadian and looking at the U.S. from a bit of a distance contributed to uh, to what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we've had a, a belligerent reputation since since the, the War of 1812. Uh, as Canadians, we, we do enjoy um, a generally nice person kind of stereotype. Um, we are, at, uh, as you said, uh, at arm's length and sitting not, not quite a safe distance away, but uh, across the border from from everything that uh, that happens in, in in the U.S., but with our frequent trips down and and, and just being deeply integrating to, uh, with the United States as as uh, as a country, we we do get a very very close view on on what's happening uh, north of the border. Uh, we do have our own political. Um, I mean, we do have our own political systems with all with all of its workings and all of its ins and outs. Uh, but in terms of where we've really seen ground news uh, deliver value, it, it certainly has been um, in the United States. That that is our both our biggest market and our largest uh, set of subscribers by far. Thank you so much for uh, giving us this time today and explaining a service that's really providing uh, an essential function in in this chaotic news and political world. Thanks, Stephen. We've been speaking with Suk Singh, CTO and co-founder of Ground News, an app that helps break us out of our filter bubbles and tries to provide a 360-degree view of the news. Our audio engineering was by Gotham Podcast Studio in New York. Our music is by Chad Crouch. Radio Spectrum is brought to you by IEEE Spectrum, the member magazine of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers. For Radio Spectrum, I'm Stephen Cherry.